City, City Limits. Limits. Brought to us by the People's Committee for Melbourne every Wednesday at 9am. City Limits is Melbourne's only hour devoted to our urban environment. To transport and planning and housing issues. To privatisations and our utility services. To building and or maintaining a sense of community. 855 on the AM band, if we can hear it through the noise and find it through the smog. City Limits. Okay, and I think my mic's in the wrong spot. I'm going to, I'm going to make a noise. I didn't, actually. Um, and uh, this is City Limits. I'm Kevin Healy, and I'm Kevin Healy, and I'm Kevin Healy, and Andy's over there as well. Andy, it's just you How and me. You it's the, yeah. Sounds lonely. Ah, yes. Our, our co-presenters today neither could make it in. They'll be back. Oh, Rex, actually, um, Lynn will be back next week, but I think... Um, um, in fact, uh, Mark's away for the next two or three weeks. He's yeah, up in right. New, got some stuff up in New South Wales. Keeping busy. Do. Yeah, keeping himself busy on some right. environmental issues. And uh, so it's, uh, it's, it's just us. It's like that Helen Reddy song, uh, Andy, You and Me Against the World. That's it. I like We're it. it. We're <laughs> it. Sounds like a classic. <laughs> but I'll open up, open the bowl, just pour a cup of tea. Here we go. The sound of pouring tea, no interruption. There we are. You know, I can't entice you, can I? No, no I'm no. okay, thank Beautifully you. turned up the mic there, though. Well done. Um, it is the third Wednesday of the month, and that means it's uh, our normal housing day, and Jeff Fiedler, again, from the Housing with the Aged Action Group, is coming in to talk about some issues there. And um, in the next 10 minutes or so, or so, about 20 past, quarter past, 20 past, we're going to talk to Howard Morosi from Friends of Public Housing, just giving us an update report on what's happening, and he's got some interesting things to say about matters like um, proposed land tax, etc., and uh, we'll mm. certainly hear some issues about that. So uh, that's that's the the show, and we'll open with our usual uh, rave about things. And we're going to open again with the. Hang on, so, say something, Andy. I'm going to have a sip of tea. Well, beautifully. Sorry about that. That was just so articulate. It was wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> the, <laughs> the, <laughs> thanks for filling in beautifully. Oh, yeah. uh, the um, the Herald Sun, I've just done, they've done it again. Front page story on whatever day it was, and it'll be at the top of the page here, April the twelfth, Wednesday. Oh, it's Wednesday a week ago. But top job in Valley go, top job in Valley goes to ALP boss. Premier Daniel Andrews has given a plum three forty thousand dollar a year job a role in creating jobs and businesses in the Latrobe Valley to the former president of the local South Gippsland branch of the Labor Party. Curran Kane, a lifetime public servant. Now that's the interesting bit, a lifetime long public servant is the new executive officer of the Latrobe Valley Authority and a couple of other ALP people put on now. It might be jobs for the boys and girls, but um, I'm not but uh, but it's um it turns out she has a long history in the public service uh, and therefore uh, may well have been qualified for the job. But what I want to point out is that when governments appoint people to these sort of committees and the Productivity Commission, the Reserve Bank, all these areas, you never hear complaints that they're appointing the big end of town business people or the big end of town uh, Freehills lawyers, etc., to run these these committees and things for government. Because if you put a business person on, it's considered to be not biased. Once you put someone from the Labor, and I don't know anything about this woman and what she's like, but when you once you put someone from a union or Labor onto something, then it's clearly showing absolute bias and it uh, shows mm. it's jobs for the girls and boys. But when the Liberals do it, or even when Labor actually, mostly Labor appoints the big end of town business people as well to these positions. But yep. 
Uh, anyway, uh, I just thought I'd make a point of that. That's this yeah. week's little thing about We're the old Herald Sun. Yeah, they go on. They just keep going. Yeah. Um, now, I thought it was interesting because Australia does happen to um, Australian governments and certainly the previous Liberal government in Victoria have gone out of their way to try and stop uh, renewable energy and wind farms, etc., in Victoria. And we hear, you know, since South Australia um, had a blackout, mainly because all the bloody poles fell over, and it's rather, even if, even no matter if it being coal, it wouldn't have mattered. And since then, Victoria's had a number of blackouts in storms, but no one said, blame coal, we need renewable. Mm. Um, but uh, we've gone, we've, we're taking our objections even further. Now, you'll be pleased to know that a wind farm planned for pastures overlooking the Australian National Memorial in the Somme in France has been shelved. Because Australia Australia objected to it, uh, because apparently they were three kilometres away. I think it was three kilometres in here somewhere, but they could be seen from the war memorial to the Australians who fell in in the fields of Somme, and so. And of course, we'll be we will celebrating more of that wonderful stuff next week with Anzac Day, mm-hmm. celebrating what our values are honed on a military disaster when we invaded somebody and. Uh, the Turks celebrated too, but they have a right to. They won it. Uh, yeah, right. <laughs> and we were invading them. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, that's okay. Um, but I just thought it's interesting that now we're stopping wind farms because they overlook an Australian War Memorial thousands and thousands of miles. Well, of course, most of the War Memorials have to be thousands of miles away for Australians if you're going to put them on where they actually fought because we invade them, but we haven't had too much on our shores. So, it's yeah, crazy. Absolutely. But while we're getting rid of wind farms just here and overseas and doing all the, and, and objecting to renewable energy, uh, you'll be pleased to know that, um, and it's always the case, you might have seen on the, I don't know if you saw on the telly news, a big fire at the mobile plant um, this week, and they said it was because the power had gone out and all this other stuff burnt and all this stuff came out. But this is the butte bit, and this is the bit we all appreciate. Thank you, Andy. Yes. Mobile has assured Victorians that an incident at its Altona oil refinery plant posed, quote, no danger to the community or the environment. Now, that doesn't that make you feel yeah. better? Yeah. Yeah, so if you're living over the road, breathing all that in, you'd think, oh, there's no danger anyway. Yeah, fine. yeah I'm feeling good now. Terrific, yeah. Hang another sip. Mmm. So there you are, concern was raised, etc. But that's, um, so that's it. And of course, what they often say that when they're actually assessing something from an environmental point of view, they often, you know, the, the, the conclusion is that well, it will have minimal environmental impact. Now, once you say it'll have minimal environmental impact, you're assuming it will have an environmental impact, aren't you? That's, yeah. I would have thought that for most of these things, you should say if it's going to have any environmental impact at all, it shouldn't go ahead. And of course... I'm now getting onto something I wasn't even going to talk about, but we've argued for years that the the onus in environmental studies is always on the community to prove it's dangerous, not on the polluter to prove it's a polluter. Yeah, and that ought to be reversed. Uh, and also, of course, uh, in environmental studies, the polluter actually commissions and produces the information for the whatever board studies it, whatever um, yeah, panel right. studies it. And, and it, of course, it, it's got plenty of money in pocket, you know, to get to get the best in um, in consultants. And consultants then, of course, have to produce a report. They're going to because they're going to get paid by the polluter, so they've got to produce a report that favours the polluter. Uh, it's in their interests, and the community, if it wants to uh, hire somebody, has to pay for it out of its pockets. 
Uh, the whole thing is loaded. And, and also, of course, the onus of proof goes in the wrong direction. It should be up to the polluter to prove that it is totally harmless rather than the reverse. Yeah. Uh, and, of course, often once it's approved and you find, well, actually, it was a bit uh, dangerous. It's too late. It's already there and it's happened and, and all that. Sad. Uh, yeah. On which, on which, interesting story, this one. A bloke um, who died of lung of tongue cancer in 2015 uh, had had by that time taken the navy to the court seeking compensation because he, he he claimed and he did die of a smoking disease uh, and he'd entered the navy when he was 15 and it was peer pressure that you know on the ship you you smoked he had to be one of the men and it reached the stage where he was smoking a packet a day at 17. And he um, he was assigned to a ship where cigarettes could be purchased duty free at sea and cost thirty to forty cents a packet. Uh, the um, of course the navy and the the military rehabilitation and compensation commission fought the case, but uh, the um, the decision the administrative appeals tribunal found for he's he's dead, but found for his widow it doesn't say how much, but he'll get, she'll get the compensation, and they argued that indeed. Um, the employment in the Navy had caused his him to smoke and therefore to get the disease, etc. Which is interesting mm, finding, interesting right. finding that one. Yeah. Um, on the same thing about uh, perhaps some social problems, uh, and I say this knowing that I do bet on racehorses, but I've never bet on a poker machine in my life. Well, actually I have, that's unfair. When they were up in New South Wales, they were called the one-armed bandits, I think they were called. And I think occasionally I'd go up, if I was up there, I'd play one, you know, and pull the thing. And, and you, uh, it took a fair while. I mean, you didn't just whiz around and lose money quickly. And you, you know, as long as you controlled it and just had a bit of fun. Yeah. But since they've come to Victoria, I have not bet on one because they're loaded and uh, we all know the yeah. problems. Fair um, enough. But there's a report this week come out uh, that the losses at the AFL teams, because almost every AFL team except a couple have their own poker machines and poker venues. Didn't realise that. Yeah, and um, they're $105 million in the last financial year, it's estimated, people lost at pubs and clubs controlled by AFL teams. Another sip, hang on. All right, that's interesting. And Carlton got 30% of its total revenue from poker machines, um, 17 million. Um, Hawthorne, the second richest club with assets, um, minus liabilities, etc. The Hawks have 165 poker machines which strip punters of 19.5 million, 28% of total revenue. Brisbane, 29%, Essendon, 23%, Melbourne, 22% of revenue. Collingwood, also very high up there, but because they're a bigger club and have more revenue, generally the percentage is lower, but people still lost. Um, People still lost uh, seventy. No, they lost eleven and a half, or they made eleven and a half million profit on the poker machines, Collingwood. So they got one forty six machines. North Melbourne's the only Melbourne team that hasn't got one. I know West Coast hasn't. Ironically, it's the richest club in the league. Um, but North Melbourne, and it's um, it's it's sixteenth on the club revenue ladder with only. Um, Greater Western Sydney and Gold Coast, those two non-event clubs below them, mm. and so uh, it's interesting. And we, we, in fact, we must we keep promising we must have a longer discussion about the problems of poker machines because there's almost a feeling in the community that somehow it's all been solved when indeed it hasn't. 
Um, but anyway, that's that. these clubs. Uh, and the other thing, of course, as we've mentioned a number of times, is that clubs put them in working-class areas. We know they don't, you, know, you don't have poker machines in the middle of Toorak or South Yarra or Brighton or wherever, yeah. too many of them anyway, uh, but they locate them in pubs in working-class areas. So a club like Hawthorne, which uh, you know sits in a in a lovely treed area of Melbourne, um, has its poker machines in uh, places where it's going to get the most revenue. Yeah, right. It's wonderful, isn't it? I don't remember this gambling culture as a kid when it came to the football and everything, just all the commercials and... I don't know. I didn't know yeah. about the pokey machine, so that's... Yeah, well, and of course, it's and you get it now, and of course, on all the bloody sports events with the bookies um, all yeah. the time, and uh, yeah. And yeah. you can't get yeah. away from it. No, no, no. Mm-hmm. Having said that, I'll probably going to have a couple of bets on the horses this afternoon, but another question. Uh, good luck. <laughs> Thanks a lot. <laughs> but uh, those, but uh, those things, they're just pure numbers games on the old uh, pokies and things. Uh, now, poor old George Columbar, as we didn't mention this last week. Did we mention? I can't remember. But poor old George, he's he's had to pay out two point six million for underpayment to 162 of his employees. This is a bloke who's a, who's a judge on one of those stupid telly cooking shows, which I've never watched, so I'm not... There's a photo of him somewhere, so I've got a vague idea what he looks like now because they all look the same to me. But anyway, um, regrettably, concerns around our payroll system were brought to the business's attention more than 18 months ago by the Fair Work Ombudsman. So about 18 months, you'd think they'd go immediately and fix it up, but no... Um, and further investigation by us at this time should have uncovered the problem and allowed the business to act, um, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but they didn't. Um, he doesn't say and he's, The reason is that the system blamed historically poor processes. Now, if they've got historically poor processes in which they find it difficult to work out whether workers are getting the correct pay or not, how do they know if they're making any money? Yeah, well... How do they work out their profits? They think they paid them back, like, the next they, day. Well, they, <laughs> once they got break, sprung, once they got uh, sprung, yeah. yeah, 18 months later, by I'm the way. I'm not sure he was even in the country, from what I've seen or it doesn't, heard. doesn't matter. He's no. the boss. Yeah, He's yeah. the boss. That historically poor. So they got sprung, and uh, he said he's sorry. I think he's sorry he got sprung. That's why he's yeah, sorry. But uh, another bloke on telly, Craig, I think his name's Craig Hutchison. He's on Channel 9 on the footy shows. Ah, yeah. Yeah, I don't know why, because he's got no personality, whatever, anyway, but that's aside the point. Maybe that that arises from the fact that I don't like him for this (laughs) reason, but he runs a media company with a couple of, I think he's got a couple of those FM radio stations or whatever around Melbourne or whatever, and and, and he's on the telly shows. But he got sprung last year, not only underpaying workers, but actually not paying them a cent. Wow. Yeah, he was. Uh, He managed that. Well, he was doing the bit about where you get workers in to try out, uh, etc. Yeah, um, the trial. Uh, yeah, the trial. And so he had all these workers working for him for ages, and they were still always on trial, and he never paid them. Wow. Never paid them. Yeah, well, you're a good judge of character, are you, then? <laughs> so there you are. So I advise people watching those shows, maybe ring up. There's a couple of them, actually. I... I I'm going to. I'm diverting now a little, but I sort of whenever he comes on, I, well, of course you don't. I haven't watched that show for years because of that Newman creature as mm. well, who just puts particularly puts down people who, you know, he feels he can lord it over, like people he feels are, yeah. 
are inferior or poor or whatever, and uh, and, every, and he feels everyone's inferior, so that's, that's the starting point. Um, so I had uh, that show, and it's just nonsense anyway. So I haven't watched that in years anyway. Yeah. But he's on that, um, and the other one is Channel Seven. Um, on well, I listen to the ABC radio and don't have the sound on, but they have Wayne Carey as one of their prominent football commentators yeah, yeah. on Friday night and on some uh, show I might even like to watch, but I won't watch it because he's on it. Yeah. Um, and I think it's a disgrace that someone who's you know was actually convicted of molesting a woman and uh, and as a his, and the history he's got in that area question. generally. Yeah. So what you saying? I have thought the same thing, like how he's maintained. His career, it seems to have only gone up for him. Mm. And yeah. It's curious. I'm not sure why or how. Yeah, so uh, message to Channel 7. We'd be pleased if you got rid of him. Um, speaking of, um, of course, they're listening. I'll take notice, won't they? <laughs> That's got rid of him. <laughs> and Speaking of, there's another mob called retailer kiki.k. which I presume is some sort of... Um, some sort of online company. Don't know anything about them, but they say they're an upmarket. Um, they they're an upmarket something or other, upmarket stationery company. I just found the bit. They also got sprung. Um, they got sprung because they there was a report last week that they they in fact were the first company to take advantage of the new penalty rate cuts and sign an agreement with their workers cutting the penalty rates. But okay. now it's been revealed. That they, even though they've first employed a factor in cuts to Sunday, etc., they've never paid penalty rates anyway. In the first place, it can be revealed. Um, uh, so, yeah, because <laughs> they they actually their 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 staff are technically outsourced to a um, to a to a labour hire firm, which engages them on an expired work choices agreement that does not pay any extra for weekends or public holidays. Uh, so, what that? The mm. labour hire company, which workers rarely speak to or interact with, with pays casuals a flat rate of twenty four thirty an hour in line with the award minimum, but does not pay the award rate of twenty six twenty four Saturdays, thirty eight eighty eight Sundays, fifty three forty six public holidays, due to an O seven enterprise agreement that pays only the standard hourly rate. It also operates under different names, including HRO initiatives and EI administrative services, and workers say they are too confused over the correct name to apply to terminate the old deal. Um, Fair Work Commission records show retailers and hospitality employers have frequently used the firm to engage workers on expired agreements at significantly below award rates. So that's Kiki K and presumably all the other companies, so it's It's good to know. It's amazing. They try to get away with... Any, any wonder work, you know, workers need all these laws and get fined millions of dollars because they're just so illegal and break the law all the time. It's terrible, really. Yeah. On a similar front, the Shop Distributor but Allied Employees Association, which we know as the Shoppies, um, is the story in Monday's Age, and um, which undercut the pay and conditions of more than 250,000 of its members in a series of stab-standard wage deals is seeking to come in from the cold. It wants to rejoin the Victorian Trades Hall Council, which it left in the early 90s. It was unhappy with the pro-land rights position um, and and political direction, which would be to do with issues like euthanasia and same-sex marriage and abortion and the things that they hate, because they're, as it points out here, they're the last of the old Catholic conservative unions, not the last of them, but they're the biggest of them, I guess, left of those old unions that were part of the split back in the 50s and 
all that. But they want to come back into the trades hall now, and there's, there's some unions are opposed to it, particularly the meat, meaties union. Um, and uh, so there's a battle taking place. But um, the and in fact, the meat union said that the SDA's current campaign against penalty rate cuts is hypocrisy at its highest, as many of its agreements included no penalty rates and hourly rates barely above the award. And I must admit, when I saw them come out, quote after the decision and making comments, I thought exactly the same thing. For God's sake, you know, yeah. these are the people who did deals knocking off their workers' That's how rights. How bad it's got. Yeah, so there are a few things I wanted to talk about this morning. I've got them out of my hair. Look, we have a break. We'll come back and we're going to talk to Howard Morosi about something sensible. Sounds good. We want to hear from you. Our station is all about serving the community and we want to know your thoughts, comments and ideas to help shape our future. We're currently asking listeners to take part in a short online survey that will help us get to know you better and understand what you want from your local radio service. The results of this survey will assist us in continuing to be the best possible station we can be in service of our valued community. To have your voice heard, head to our website and fill out the survey. Yarra Council is seeking feedback from the Yarra community on the following draft documents. Council plan, annual budget, long-term financial strategy and our proposed waste service charge. All submissions must be received by 5pm on Thursday the 4th of May. To learn more about the draft documents and how to make a submission, visit yoursayyarra.com.au or contact us at info at yarracity.vic.gov.au or phone 92055555. Yarra Council is a 3CR supporter. Okay, and on the line we have Howard Morosi from Friends of Public Housing who wants to talk to us about a, a few things this morning, but um, he's going to give us an update. So the probing update question is, what do you want to talk about, Howard? Thanks, Kevin. <laughs> you really you, you blindsided me with that one. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Didn't um, see it coming. <laughs> sure, I've got a few, a few things to talk about today. Um, what's happening with uh, public housing, in particular uh, the Markham Estate in Ashburton, and also the estate in Preston, which um, the state government wants to wants to um, put some sort of social housing on, <clears throat> and also um, the current push for land tax um, is probably worth talking about in the context of housing as well, <clears throat> uh, because it's going to affect um, uh, rental houses, and there's also a push by some people to extend it to um, home homeowners as well. Um, so if we start with um, the Ashburton public housing situation, um, this is um, an estate which uh, had some, actually did have some dilapidated public housing on it, which was demolished by the Andrew, Andrews government mm. a couple of years ago, um, and they have a plan <coughs> which they're just, which they're in the process of implementing to, um, <coughs> excuse me, to. Um, to, to uh, build uh, 70% of the estate is actually going to be given over to private developers <clears throat> to be sold off for private housing. Um, obviously, we're opposed to that. It all should be retained for public housing. And then <clears throat> the rest of it, the worst part of it, with the worst views, is going to be um, one, one and two bedroom um, social housing. We're not sure if it's going to be actually um, genuine public housing or social housing, which is run by the charities and the churches or corporations. Um, uh, but also, um, <clears throat> the um, I believe the previous 
<coughs> previous uh, housing actually was two and three bedroom. I'm not sure about that. So I think the act, although the number of units is roughly the same uh, as what was there previously, um, there's fewer people being housed. Uh, so what's happened is that, in fact, the local residents have actually come out in support of public housing, which has been really good, and uh, as well as the overdevelopment aspect of it. Um, and it was actually covered on <coughs> a current affair on Channel 9. And if people are interested in having a look, it's quite inspiring to see a mainstream media outlet, uh, not only 3CR, actually supporting public housing, because they did actually support public housing uh, in the in the um, current affair coverage, and they did interview Joe Toscano and gave him a fair go. Mm. Uh, public housing was very uh, prominently emphasised in that um in that uh, current affair program. Yeah. It was broadcast on the uh, 14th of April, and if you Google it under 9news.com, its its uh, tag is upmarket Melbourne suburb, bucking the trend by calling for more public housing. Definitely mm. worth a look. That, that estate was more of a, um, a families with kids type estate, wasn't it? Yeah, that's why I think it was three bedroom yeah. previously. Yeah. But that's, this is typical of what the state government is now doing. They're actually, um, they claim they're just replacing uh, what was there previously with something similar and then and then flogging uh, most of the land off for private yeah. developers. Well, the people um, who were moved out a couple of years ago, what's happened to them? Have they been promised anything or have they just been dispersed all over the place? Do we know? Well, probably promised. If it's anything like what's happened previously, um, only a small percentage of tenants come back. Yeah. Um, it breaks up communities. Uh, it creates uncertainty for tenants. A lot of, a lot of them will probably be pushed onto the um, social housing register, because now the state government, the Andrews Labor government, has actually um, amalgamated the lists yep. for public housing and for social housing. So it's, it seems to be we're not sure yet, but it seems to be a lot easier for people to be pushed into social housing and away from public housing. Mm. Yeah, just on that last point, actually. If, if so, if you if you're really needy and you hit the top of the list, uh, one assumes social housing and then decide whether to take you or not. Uh, given that they generally don't want to take people who might not be able to pay the rent. Well, they don't have to. They no, that's what I'm saying. So, if you hit the top, you if you hit the top, then social housing can still reject you. Yeah, that's my understanding yeah. as well. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it's really it's no solution, um, and that's why uh, public housing tenants reject what the state government's doing. People should realise that um, the Age newspaper, in particular, keeps quoting the Victorian Public Tenants Association. That's not that organisation. Uh, I believe was set up by Ken Mooney many years ago when it was genuinely representative of public housing tenants, but it no longer is. It's rejected by public housing tenants and public housing mm. tenant advocates. But the Age keeps quoting it as though it's some form of representative organisation. It always supports what the state government does. Um, so people need to be aware when they when they see the name Victorian Public Tenants Association. It's one of those misnomers that we're so familiar with. Um, the other thing that's happening uh, at a particular site is in Preston. Um, the state government again uh, had some public housing units which they demolished and um, we're going to um, uh, again build more. Uh, well, they said it was going to be public housing. Um, the Greens, uh, the, the council, uh, Darabin Council, has a Greens mayor and has a number of Greens 
councillors, but the council overall rejected the state government plans uh, because of the quality of the development, which I think is a fair objection. Um, and again, the Victorian Public Tenants Association has slammed the council in support of the government. Uh, and there's talk of the government being able to call the develop, development in, which I think is also the case with, um, with the Markham Estate. And I believe that has to be passed by the upper house of state parliament in order for that to happen. And I haven't heard what's happening yet with that, but hopefully the Greens, hopefully the Greens in uh, state parliament will vote against the government uh, calling in the Markham Estate and the Preston Estate mm. there. And will this be an, again a mixture of public and private now, where it used to be all public? It used to be all public. I haven't seen the latest plans. Initially, it was announced just as um, public housing. I'm, not, I'm actually not sure mm. oh, what well. the current situation is. See. There. Yeah, okay. So that's that's one to keep an eye on, obviously. Yeah, yeah, we'll be keeping you up to date. Yeah, that. and the um, the land tax. Well, land tax is a really big topic. Um, it's been in the news a lot lately. Uh, land tax already is there. We already have land tax uh, from the state government, and we also have land tax in the form of rates which are paid uh, to the local councils. Um, and during the uh, federal government review, land tax is actually put forward by the Grattan Institute and by Prosper Australia, which is Carl Fitzgerald's organisation. Um, Prosper Australia in particular is pretty much a single-issue organisation which advocates land and resource taxes as our cure for everything environmental and our cure for everything social, which is obviously nonsense. Um, and uh, the Grattan Institute is, you know, was set up by the state government here in Victoria um, and basically runs a, a corporate uh, profit-seeking line yeah. uh, in terms of uh, the way the economy should be run. Um, and they're the, they're the organisations which have been promoting and it seems to have gained a lot of traction with the federal government uh, and also apparently with the Greens. Um, people are putting forward a false choice. Uh, they say a land, an increase in land taxes would be good because it means we can abolish stamp duty. Um, stamp duty is uh, the tax paid by um, people who buy a home um, or, or, or uh, an investment property. So abolition for homeowners is obviously a good thing, but you don't need to bring in an increase your land tax in order to um, to abolish stamp duty for people that are buying their own home. Um, it, for some for some people, it, 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 it may appear to be nothing to worry about because it hits the ownership of property. Um, and if it can, at the moment, uh, land tax exempts homeowners. Um, so... If it if it keeps if that exemption stays in place, um, you might think it's actually a good thing. And why should we worry about um, you know investors in in property? Mm. Um, but the problem is it's it's going to uh, turbocharge um, the whole uh, profit seeking aspect uh, of land ownership and 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 uh, land development, um, and that's not a good thing. Uh, pretty much. You can assume that land tax will be passed on to um, people who uh, who have to rent houses, um, or it'll be passed on to people who buy the goods that are produced in factories, or people that um, buy, buy the services that are produced on the land in shops. Um, so, from that point of view, it's actually going to hit people 
uh, adversely. Mm. And if we if we stick to the principle that tax should be a progressive tax, uh, it should be levied at the point of income, um, and it should be done uh, where you pay a higher rate according to your income. And uh, we should continue to pursue companies uh, to pay their proper tax, and we should actually uh, impose uh, an inheritance tax, which is obviously the most is the fairest form of tax because it's income that's not actually earned by the person who who gets it. Yeah, and of course, if if it was extended to all property and all householders, uh, then they'd be paying twice in a sense because they'd be paying it and then they'd be paying those extras you talked about when we added on to the cost of goods. That's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, the concept of it being being applied to the rich, and in fact, um, it might mean they'd be forced to pay some tax where they pay none now. On one level, well, that's that's another that's that's a positive aspect to it. It's a question though. Like people keep saying, oh, "Well, you can avoid your income tax, you can avoid your company tax, you can't avoid land tax." But if you think about it, you can actually avoid land tax. You can use the same. We can minimise it by using devices like having corporations, by having trusts to split yeah. your ownership. Yeah, that's right. You don't actually own the property. <laughs> that's right. Or what happens now is land tax is actually levied at a high rate according to uh, how much land you actually own, the value of the land you own. So that creates an incentive, obviously, to split your land ownership up into <clears throat> smaller lots so it incurs a lower rate of tax. So there's obviously always going to be a conflict there between making a tax progressive and giving an incentive for people to avoid it. Mm. Um, I guess the uh, exception is the GST, but again, GST is something we, I wouldn't advocate and I think should be abolished. And the interesting thing about the GST is it's similar to land tax in in the type of arguments that are being put forward. You know, we keep, if you remember at the time it was um, passed, it was promoted by people in the environment movement as something that was going to curb excess consumption because it was going to add to the cost of consumption. And that was actually mm. one of the reasons why the Democrats supported it. It's obviously a nonsense. Absolute, um, absolute nonsense. <laughs> yeah, and, and it, yeah. it actually masked the real agenda there. And the real agenda is not to, um, to, to solve land use problems. It's not to help the poor. It's actually to shift the, um, shift the tax base away from uh, progressive taxes. Mm. And, to regressive uh, to, taxes. Yeah, and I guess the other thing is, um, if you have, if you increase the cost of actually investing, it does actually uh, give a disincentive for people to go into that as a way of earning money. In that way, it would actually reduce the tendency to push up prices. But it, it reduces the tendency to push up prices by pushing up prices, and it means that the only people left who are competing for ownership of, of uh, property are the richer people who can afford to pay the tax. Um, and it therefore concentrates the ownership of land in fewer hands and increases the monopoly powers to extract higher prices from land. Mm. Related, um, to, related to that, by the way, and I talked to you about this earlier, um, one would have thought that the, in the, the investor industry would be thrilled, the development industry would be thrilled at a proposal to, um, with, to withdraw stamp tax or at least withdraw stamp. They'd be a, they would oppose a proposal to withdraw support uh, stamp duty concessions for investors. Now, um, 
but they and in fact they've come out very strongly. A leading property research company, Carter Keck Kramer, Charter Keck Kramer, has come out and said that um, withdrawing stamp duty concessions for investors will increase the prices all over the place. It's the most awful outcome. Um, and it That's felt, really got me flabbergasted. Yeah. Do you have the full text there, Kevin? Do you know, do they you say, know their reasoning? Yes, they say that um, impacts from these proposed changes are expected to become most pronounced in Melbourne's new apartment market relative to other housing types. Um, this is because investors have always been highly represented in this dwelling type. For example, 43% of all flats and apartments in Melbourne are already owned by investors, compared with only 11% of detached dwelling stock owned by investors. Uh, they go on to say, um, according to them, the removal of off-the-plan concessions would add 23 grand to the cost of buying a 500 grand apartment off the plan, rising to 29 grand for a 600 grand apartment and be a huge disincentive to investors, etc. So that's their argument. So, but they, that refers to removal of concessions, doesn't it? Yes, yes. So, in fact, we're talking about exemptions from stamp duty there. Yeah, that's right, so, that's right. Yeah. So, they want, so to, they want to keep the exemptions. Yeah, in other words, they, they, they don't want to see... Oh, no, um, no, 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 certainly not. Yeah, you That's right. And they, they'd also, of course, oppose introducing uh, land tax on themselves as well. But that's beside yeah. the point. But yeah. what I'm saying is, what with my analysis, I'm not actually sure that they're wrong in opposing increasing land taxes. Um, I'm not actually sure that it is actually a, a good thing for the rest of us uh, for, for them to be paying more land tax yeah. um, because it. As I say, it does tend to get passed on to us anyway. Yeah. Um, okay. All right, we've got to finish uh, and, up there, Howard, but we'll wait yeah, and great. see. All right, mate, but thanks for your thanks report again this morning. Okay. Okay, yeah. thanks a lot, Howard Morosi there from Friends of Public Housing and uh, Jeff Fiedler from uh, Housing with the Aged Action Group has walked into the studio. Hey, Kevin. How are you? And, yeah, not too bad. And um, you've got a few things to talk about today, I assume? Yeah, I want to touch on housing, but um, maybe if there's time, I'd like to talk to you about um, some things that are happening at our community group. Yes, yes, that's what I thought you wanted to talk about, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You want to open with that or not? Uh, yeah, why not? Yeah, okay. Th- that, that'd, be, that'd be great. Um, j- just to alert listeners um, to some very disturbing things that are, that are going on at Housing for the Aged Action Group at the moment, and I, I don't want to be mm. here sort of blowing the trumpet just of our organisation. Well, they've they've but, been um, a part of this program for many, many years now, and I think yeah. people recognise the wonderful work it has done over the years. So, yeah. Thanks, Kevin. And, and, um, and there is a story to be told about this in terms of the um, impacts on all community groups potentially in Melbourne, and these sort of things have happened before that I'll go on to explain. Mm. But um, it, it's also about our, <coughs> our friend and colleague, April Bragg, Mm. Who's been a long-term um, participant on your program? Yes, yes, and, right. um, she, so that's that's. A cons- she's only retired eight times, I suppose. Yeah, <laughs> she's she keeps trying, but but as you know, April's um, commitment to housing justice um, yeah. sees no end. And well, it, and she's, she's been at Hague for what eighteen years, I think it is. And um, that's right. And she, but she's probably closer to thirty years or something working in that in the sector. Area. Thirty, yeah. thirty-five so, years. That's yeah, right. Yeah. So, uh, as I say, once a housing worker, always a housing worker, Kevin. <laughs> it's, mm. uh, you, it's in the blood. And you've been there for 20-something years, haven't you? 22 years, yeah. 22. Yeah. Mm. So, what I want to just let alert listeners um, mm. to at the moment is that um, the, the first thing is that, that April has um, fa- fundamentally been, um, is in the process of being sacked by the organisation. Mm. And this is a very disturbing and distressing thing for um, many people at, at HAG. 
Um, this is obviously an action by the Management Committee of the Housing for the Aged Action Group. Uh, there are many concerned members of the organisation, because we've got a very large membership as mm. well, who should know about this but um, uh, have been very late in being informed as to what's going on. And it's also very distressing to the rest of the staff who've, you know, have, have lost, uh, seeing the, the loss of, of this very important person to our organisation. Um, and, I, you know, we can talk about April's achievements until the cows come home, mm. but, but fundamentally April has developed our Home at Last service, which um, extraordinarily in the last three years has housed over 500 older people into long-term public and social housing. And that's no mean achievement when you consider all the difficulties we talk about on this program about the housing shortages and how hard it is. One way or another, April and the team at Home at Last have housed over 500 people in the last three years into long-term secure housing where they don't have to worry about getting kicked out by their landlord, where they can afford their rent, where it's a place that they can age in for the rest of their lives. Mm. Just recently, we also... April achieved the expansion of our service down into the Geelong region with a tender that, that she put in. So for the first time, HAG is expanding. We're, we're a statewide service, but in terms of our outreach, now moving into the Geelong region, which is a fantastic um, development. Um, and just overall, I suppose the, the organisation has been extremely successful over, over mm. many years in helping people and actually... I'm doing a national project at the moment, and compared to other states, we're just way ahead in in Victoria in terms of getting services that are there to actually help people. And it's really the work that April's April's done um, to do that, as well as the hours that she puts in, regularly putting in. I worked out that April's probably each year committing about 15 to 20 extra weeks per year in sort of volunteering on top of her normal work, where she goes out to visit people and and helps them directly to find housing. So her personal mm. commitment is just extraordinary, and that's reflected by you know, her politics with everything that she talks about on this program, the commitment to public housing. All of those things are really under threat with, with what's happening at HAG at the moment. What, um, as staff, what we're... Go on, yeah, no, all, no, you want to... So I was going to ask, why is this happening? But That's the big question, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, the only notification that's come out to our membership from, from the chairperson, uh, uh, Daisy Ellery, uh, is that uh, the, the committee have lost confidence in April. That's all they've said at this stage. Yeah. So we, we don't know any more than that, Kevin, um, because this is a management committee that's now also operating in secret. They um, they cancelled the. Um, Can we go back a step? Then? How is the management committee elected, or whatever happened? How, do, how does it get to be the management committee? A- annually, <laughs> our members elect a management committee. So our last election was in was in November, uh, two thousand sixteen. So not that long ago. So things have happened mm. very fast. Um, and there's been a period just into this year where all of a sudden there've been a, a, a number of meetings held in camera, in secret with no one really knowing what sort of decisions are being made. And the only information that's really come through to staff has been from legal, legalistic directives in writing. We haven't actually seen anyone from the management committee in our office for about two months now. Um, so everything's been done by quite um, threatening legal directive. And it's making, you know, many staff are very distressed and upset, um, very concerned about what's going on. Seeing April 
um, under the uh, through going through the process at the moment of, of being sacked, the, and the committee is saying that she's to leave by early May. We don't know any more details than that. Um, everyone else feels like we're under threat as well. And of course, mm. you know, speaking out, what does that mean? Are we going to get get our heads chopped off as yeah. well for for speaking out about this? Um, well, because I wasn't sure whether to ask about it at all today, because I, I wasn't sure you wanted to talk about it on air or not. But if we, you want to, we feel like we do. have no alternative, yeah. Kevin. This is yeah. such an important issue, and I did also want to say um, the the importance in terms of HAG as being a thriving, active community group that operates politically as well as providing direct services to older people who are desperately in housing need. It's quite a unique organisation in that way. And we feel like we really need to protect it. But one thing that the chairperson has said to our membership um, through through letter is that the they've had discussions with the funding bodies who were saying that it will only be they will only fund this management committee into the future. So this they've, they're giving the confidence to this management committee to fund them into the future. So that to us also really strikes at the heart of an independent community group and the right of its membership in a democratic way, as you're saying, through, through mm. elections, to decide um, make, how it should be formed. Make decisions. And if they're, if they're convincing the funders that they are the only ones who are responsible enough to manage the organisation, mm. then that's extremely uh, concerning, we're hearing from it's, many members. It's close uh, to a coup, into, isn't it? <laughs> well, yeah, it's, 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 it's changing, potentially changing the nature of our organisation, as I say, from being an independent democratic organisation uh, where its members decide on who it elects and what decisions it makes, to one that would could basically become a contractor to government that's purely led by um, the direction of government and it will just become a service organisation, yeah. basically. You know, there are many service organisations you know, out there, I but, would have thought, but not HAG. You know, like they're welcome to come in and put their point of view on this program, by the way, if they want to. But I would have thought that... If you're talking about making changes to an organisation, you should sit down with the staff and discuss it with them and all the other affected people and the membership, um, one would have thought. There's a, an agenda to drive through an, a whole range of change, it seems, and that doesn't doesn't uh, allow for consultation, it seems. Mm. Again, it's not just staff, but it's also with the broader membership. Yeah. We, we, we do... Uh, there are a range of ways that uh, the committee can can communicate with the membership and and with staff. But the, just another example of that, as well as um, them going through the process at the moment of sacking April, they've also um, imposed a general manager as a new position within the organisation. So literally within one day of us being notified that they're in the process of sacking April, the day after. Uh, a new general manager started the organisation. Indeed, I believe she was sacked at five thirty on a Friday afternoon, and the manager turned Charming. up on Monday morning. Charming, that's yeah. right. Yeah, it's 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 it it strikes terror into the hearts of people at the organisation that they would act mm. in such callous ways. You know, pe- emails have been sent to staff at nine thirty at night, demanding all, demanding documentation and all sorts of things, quite really threatening mm. sort of uh, behaviour. Is there anyone? I mean, you say there's been no contact. There must be some people on the management committee who oppose what they're doing, mustn't there? There's been one member of the management committee out of thirteen who've resigned over this. Um, so we do find that extraordinary that that um, that more people aren't seeing what's going on here, um, but. I guess when you've got a management committee that meets in secret, that doesn't um, communicate its decisions externally, that they're in a sense operating in a bubble, 
and they've pulled a, a group of people together to be part of this process. Now, mm. whether they believe that there's something very serious going wrong in our organisation, we don't know what they're alleged. If that's the case that they're alleging mm. there, all we can say is that we're very proud of the organisation. We're very proud of the way it's managed. The organisation has been has built uh, very strongly over the last five or six years, in particular, to become a very very large organisation from about three staff up to now about fifteen or sixteen, um, mostly direct service staff helping the community. Mm. Um, so it's been extremely successful, and you'd wonder why you'd want to undercut such success like that. And as I say, we're in another expansion phase at the moment. Like with funding cuts everywhere, we've actually been given the confidence of being given funding to expand to the Geelong area. And we've also been informed just about a week ago that Consumer Affairs Victoria are increasing our funding for our retirement housing service in acknowledgement of the work that we do. Again, not just helping older Mm. people, but we've been involved in a range of um, political actions that government do support in some ways and, and... uh, consultations around the parliamentary inquiry into retirement housing and also the recent review of the Residential Tenancies Act, where we've been really forthright in our views on all of those things. No holds barred. It's purely the views of our members are what we get across in mm. in um, in our information. And, and we've been fortunate at this stage the government have supported us on that. So we can't see what the problem is here. And, you know, we, with, if the committee would sit down with us and talk to us about the problem, we, we didn't want to have a situation of um, high conflict like this, but we feel like it's been brought upon us by their actions mm. and we've got to fight back. Yeah. As staff, we're taking also taking actions through our union, the Australian Services Union, to, um, to look at what action we can take, particularly in regard to this um, forced restructure that's, that's being taken. Uh, with as you as we described before, with April being sacked one day and a, a new general manager, who we don't even know what the person's role is, uh, who's come mm. into the organisation um, and is you know um, t- taken over this position, sitting in April's desk. You know, it's just it's f- extremely distressing for everyone to have this overnight mm. uh, change. Well, yeah, I mean the morale. I mean. The morale must be shattered, I imagine, and and once the morale's shattered, all the good work you do starts to suffer. Well, you know, it it just becomes, you know, it's it's a it's cause and effect. It is. It's having a huge effect on on the people who are, you know, working many dedicated hours to help older people in need, and we're we're committed to maintaining our services. That's not going to suffer. We're we we'll work overtime, we'll do whatever we need to do to make sure that we continue to provide a service to the community. Mm. So anyone out there who does need help, ring up as normal. We're we're still there to provide assistance to people and that that, that won't uh, that won't stop in any well, way. But April not there at the moment also because she's seeing out the five weeks, not in the office one assumes. Yeah. Um a hell of a lot, you know, a large workload is is missing in, in terms of yeah, the well, work you've got to do. The, the, the oversight of the work that Home at Last does that April has just been completely hands-on about. She's the most experienced housing worker in the in Victoria. Yeah. You know, I'll say yeah, that without sure. doubt. Yep. Why you would want to throw well, that away. That's what I, I've known just, her, I've it, knew her well before she worked there when she was working yeah. in housing in Port Melbourne and other places and, yeah, uh, yeah. you know, for years, yeah. yeah. She, yeah. she it has to um, ensure the compliance uh, that we're required to provide to government through our data collection, for example. This is all really important work that um, 
that that not only identifies the issues that older people are facing, but but also provides the accountability. Again, you know, we believe our account, accountability is second to none, and April's have been a key key person in that. On top of that, April's had a caseload through all of that of up to fifty people herself, and often. Um, you know, some of the more difficult situations um, that we're needing to deal with. April is the one who steps forward and does a lot of those, as well as, um, you know, managing our brokerage funds, because one of the great things our service does is provide goods like bedding and fridges to people who may not have had uh, those things or not in very good condition for many years. Um, ensuring that people have all of those goods provided when they move into their new homes. So it, the service we've developed is really um, developed in the spirit of April's um, mm. work, I suppose, yeah. in many ways. And you you can't just turn around and change that and, be, and it, for it to become sort of bureaucratic, um, hierarchical organisation that, that pro- provides a basic service. It's not what HAG's about. Mm. HAG's about doing whatever we can to help and people. And flexibility. Yeah, and that everybody that comes in to, to get help from our, for, to our organisation, they are also part of the politics of the organisation because what they are talking to us about are the issues that are concerning lots of older people in the community. And we, can, we, we encourage any older person who comes in to, to get help that... that we want them to contribute to their views to to the issues we're dealing with, and that for them to be housed is a right. So that's a fundamental right. The service we provide, they everyone deserves that right to have decent housing, and that then becomes the political issue that we need to get across to the broader community that everyone deserves that. Mm. And so it's it's we're not a welfare organisation. We never would want it to be turned into that, but we fear that that's that's another danger that could occur with this um, if this is allowed to continue. Mm. Yeah, it's a, it's a, well, it's just a triple situation, actually. And it's, yep. Yeah, I mean, we've, we've, you've been on this program for many years now, and I mean, we, as I said at the start, I'm sure our listeners would be aware of the enormous work that, that HAG does. I mean, well, you mentioned the retirement um, housing program. That's, yep. that's one you've worked in pretty closely, isn't it? Um, yeah. Uh, and yeah. What, just as an example, what does it do? Well, it, it provides – there's a lot of people in lower-cost retirement living situations, often uh, housing run by not-for-profit organisations where people pay a, a basic rent. Um, they're very basic – it's very basic sort of housing, but the laws that govern that sort of housing are very poor. Mm. Um, they're covered by the Retirement Villages Act, which basically assists people on high mm, incomes right. and high levels of assets. Well, but if well, you're on a low income... That's right, or assist the owners not, of retirement villages. Yeah, it doesn't yeah. help you if you're on a low income. So yeah. our advocates are there to fight for those sorts of people and to, to help them negotiate problems that they have with management. Yeah. Sometimes they get threatened with eviction and will defend them in those situations as well. So it, it does an enormous amount of work also in the whole residential parks and caravan parks area. That's also included under the retirement housing area. Mm. They do a lot of work. We've got an extraordinary situation at the moment with, with literally tens of caravan parks that are closing across Victoria. So it's a form of housing that's that's dying. And it's it's a yeah. lower cost form of housing. And many older people at the moment are being evicted from that sort of housing. And so we're advocating directly for, for older people in that situation, but also, as I was saying before, 
advocating to government to do something about it, to try and get some solutions for people to improve the legislation and to get more public housing as, as another key yeah, thing that people need. Yeah. Well, there's one in Carlton, um, in Pigden Street, that I ride past coming here, yeah. um, which uh, is very good. I think the one you know, Redmond Park, I think it's called. Yeah. Um, and um, the uh, and I, went, I had lunch there recently with Les Dalton, not recently, a year or two ago, with Les Dalton, who's now well in his 90s, the old anti-war activist. Um, and it's it's a very good place. But a friend, another friend of mine recently made investigations about it, and the, the cost of moving in there was just extraordinary. Yeah, you know, yeah. It was, it was, I, can't, I think it was way up in the hundreds of thousands somewhere. Probably 500,000 plus. It was more like nine. Or, I'm, not, yes. I'm not even sure. I, I, won't, I won't quote, but I, it was very high. Yes, and that's where yeah. there was public housing land. Is that that site? That's the, it's near the, right next to the school, yeah. That, was yeah. It, it was public housing, I think. Um, yeah, 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 that, yeah, that's yeah. Um, really an, an example of, well, there, there are sort of gated communities almost that are out there, resort-style housing, and, and um, also what they call assisted living apartments that, that do help people who need extra help. But you've mm. got to have dollars to get that sort yeah. of assistance, yeah. and that, that's not really the group that yeah. we're there to assist. Yeah. That's right, and um, and of course that's that comes back to the point that you're there to assist the people who really need the assistance very yeah. badly, and this what's what's being fundamental being threatened, I guess. Yeah, our fundamental services are assisting older people living in the private rental market who are really struggling. That we did a study of everyone that came to see us last year, 2016, the average rent people were paying was between 50 to 80 percent of their income. So we know that there are a lot of people, and this came out through the Hilda report as well older people who are paying less on food, on health, on services, a whole mm. range of things. The facts are there that older people do away with a whole lot of things yes. to be able to afford their rent. Well, some of the stuff I brought you to talk about today, but we haven't got round to it, was on those very points about yeah. people now, even normal, even non-older people, credit card debt in Australia is incredible yeah. high. So it all comes back to the fact that wages, are, they keep saying low wages are a problem, but I'm sure they could easily fix that, can't they, Jeff? I mean, well, absolutely. You could pay a little we, more. Well, <laughs> there's a lot, a lot of funds going in the wrong areas, aren't there? That's there right. Are. Could I just quickly say, Kevin, um, we've been asked by some members to develop a register of supporters. Mm. So if anyone would like to to offer their support to our organisation yep. and express their concern as to what's happening, we'd encourage people to contact us at the office on 039654-7389. Yep. And we would gladly hear from anyone who would uh, like to support uh, staff and members of HAG with this yeah. with this current dispute. All right, let's get that number out again. Because people, um, yeah, give, zero people, give people about two seconds to sure. get the pen, find the bit of paper. They're sort of settling down, put it in their heads, remember it. Now, Z- number again. Zero three nine six five four seven three eight nine. Right. Okay, Jeff. Look, we're out of time, but. Um, but I think it was well worth talking about. I, I wasn't sure you wanted to talk about it today or not, but um, I think it's well worth um, you know making those points. And if the members of the committee want to come along and put their point of view, they're welcome to come in next time and even debate it with you or something. But, happy happy to do that. Yep. Yeah. This is the future of community groups broadly we're talking about here. Okay, Jeff Friedley, we've been talking to Housing with the Age Action Group, and uh, it's an unfortunate and sad story. But let's hope April does get back on the staff and... Um, and so they can sort it out. Bring it back now. Yeah, okay. <laughs> thanks a lot, Jeff. It must be pretty difficult for you to tell you all that, but thanks a lot. Thanks, Kevin. Right and thanks. Look, you may as well. Next week, I don't know what we've got next week. I think we're going to... Oh, we're probably going to have Helen Vandenberg talking about some issues and 
and yeah, we got a, and we, yeah, we got a fourth and fifth Wednesdays, and we're going to we got yeah, and we're going to talk to Paddy Moriarty as well in the next couple of weeks about some energy issues. So we've got a few people lined up, but thank Andy for doing a wonderful job pressing those buttons. Thanks, Andy. Not a problem. No worries. <laughs> It's a long walk where we're going I can't find my way alone Walk with me and maybe soon We'll find a place that we can call our home I never held my father's hand I never learned my mother's language I'm like a stranger in my own land Never found a place where I could stand 